0: hi everyone and welcome along to an extra special episode of the high performance podcast this is our gift to you for free every single week the podcast that turns the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons so today allow the greatest leaders thinkers sports stars entertainers and entrepreneurs to be your teacher now i hope you had a very happy christmas um i hope it was filled with too much eating too much drinking um you know within reason of course um but loads of friends loads of family loads of laughter loads of happiness because wow if ever there's a time when we need a bit of positivity it is now isn't it um we had a good one we were just with the family my dad took me and my brother and my sister off to um to the pub on christmas day and actually my mum sent me a lovely uh whatsapp to the whole we've got a little family whatsapp group um i'm sure you do as well and she said um here it is she said um we loved everything spectacular decorations wonderful food with perfect sprouts most generous hosts kids all happy together and our whole family as one and then she said 1974 just me and dad and yesterday 15 of us it is a constant surreal happiness for us i thought it was a really nice message a constant surreal happiness and i suppose it's just a reminder that in the blink of an eye life goes by an absolute blink of an eye um so the more that we can do to fill our days with positivity the more we can learn the more we can explore then the better and that is really what this podcast is all about now um we've got big plans for 2022 and one of them involves experts we want to fill your ears and fill your minds with people who will help you to sleep better to eat better to train better to communicate better you name it we will find an expert in that field because i i just get the sense that that's what you guys want particularly in this kind of false news era the post-truth generation that we're living through at the moment like we just want real experts people that have been there done it got the certificates got the letters after their name and we're going to find a way for them to really impact your lives so we're going to be bringing them on the high performance tour which as you know is coming your way in 2022 but as well as that we're going to be inviting them onto the podcast as well so today we're going to start with um, a nutrition expert I actually met Salia when I went and recorded um, the BBC Saturday Kitchen program and I chatted to her and she is not just um, a nutritionist she is not just a winner of MasterChef but also she's a practicing GP and a gastroenterologist so on a daily basis she is dealing with people who've got stomach problems, gut problems, you name it she deals with it and so she felt to me like the perfect person to come on here and particularly now when we've all had all the excess of Christmas and we're gearing up for a new year she felt like the perfect person to come on here and share her thoughts, her knowledge, her understanding and the things that she's learned learned about nutrition to pass them on to you what is it i always say at the start you know allow them to be your teacher allow their experiences to be your lessons so i really hope that Sally has some really interesting stuff that you can learn from and you can take it into your nutrition in 2022 so expect more experts and expect an awful lot more from the high performance podcast in 2022 let's crack on with it hope you had a happy christmas and i'll see you soon Well, welcome along to another episode of the High Performance Podcast and we have something really special lined up for you today because we want to really help you not just with your minds but also with your bodies and we've had lots of guests on the podcast that can share their experience of how they've used their bodies to win trophies or use their minds to create great successes in their lives but what about something that you can do to your body to help you get closer to high performance. I'm really pleased to say that Salia Mahmood Ahmed joins us. Salia, nice to have you with us. Welcome to High Performance.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm delighted.
0: So, Salia, you are a doctor. I you am. You are a gastroenterologist. Mm-hmm. You are the winner of MasterChef. Mm-hmm. You are an author. Mm-hmm. And we are going to rely on you for the next little while to really share the secrets about nutrition that can help us get closer to high performance. Because something that Damien and I have noticed is that when we have high-performing sports individuals Mm. sitting opposite us, they really know exactly what they're eating and why Mm. but a lot of people that listen to this podcast are either working in really high pressurized situations Mm -hmm. lots of doctors who operate in your world and Mm. we were just speaking before we started recording that last week you worked how many hours did you work last week
2: about a hundred so
0: you know getting good nutrition while you do that is difficult ceos listen to the podcast teachers listen to the podcast but perhaps more importantly than that for damien and myself young people listen to this podcast Mm. and we want them to learn the tools and the tricks right now to carry them through a great life of high performance. So from a nutritional perspective what should we consider to be a high performance approach to what we eat?
2: I think that's a million dollar question to which there is probably an essay long answer. I think first and foremost it is really important to establish that food is really important so we don't often think of it as being something that's important in our lives. We actually take for granted the fact that we're just eating to sustain ourselves. Mm. But there is no other thing in your life where you are having to make decisions on a daily basis. So you start your morning, you have breakfast, lunch, dinner, you have snacks in between. And each one of those is a critical decision making point. So you are making decisions about what you put inside your body. Not only that, food is the enduring connection between you and Mother Nature, our Earth, you know, so what you eat connects you to the wider world around you plants grow from the ground they're ending up in packaging you're cooking them you're eating them in whatever form you eat them yeah i don't want to be too mother guy about the matter but actually nature and earth are connected to one's human body by food so it is really really important and first and foremost we have to know that you are what you eat that is not just some old saying food really has an impact on a diverse array of different health related functions whether we realize it or not
0: okay so from a medical perspective yeah what do you want us to be eating how should we be considering the food that we eat because until you said that just then i'd never really thought that the if you think about it the only thing that actually comes into our bodies is food and drink right there's nothing else that we consume really Mm. so what should from a medical perspective what's the right thing for us to be eating or does that just depend on on the individual
2: well If I were to really distill it down, the science tells us that a diet that's predominantly based on plants, i.e. predominantly fruit and vegetable based, with the addition of whole grains, nuts and seeds is probably what's best for us. You can have some meat in your diet, you can have some fish in your diet, but predominantly speaking, the science tells us that a good varied diet with a diverse, and diverse is the key word here, a diverse array of different compounds different chemicals different plant-based products is really really good for us so we're not talking about even having five fruit or veg a day we're talking about really going for it and packing five fruit and veg into one meal a day and really really increasing the diversity of what we eat now historically us as human beings we ate a lot of diverse things so you know our ancestors ate So many different types of of plants and gradually with time you can actually distill down the amount of different things we're eating to less than a handful. Even when we eat fruit and veg and people who think they have very diverse diets with loads of fruit and veg in them, they're actually not eating as much as our ancestors used to. Right. And the science has caught up with us and it shows that the more diverse the food that you eat is, the better it is for your gut, the better it is for your gut bugs. And in turn, your gut bugs have a massive influence on your wider health. For example, cardiovascular disease, depression, how much energy you have, how how good your skin looks. All these things are impacted by what you eat.
3: So how have we sabotaged ourselves from what our ancestors intuitively knew? What mm. do you think is the reason why we're eating such a smaller array of different food types?
2: Well, it is amazing, isn't it? Because... Rather than eating naturally cooked foods that are grown from the earth, we have such a narrow range of things that we eat and some of the things we eat barely resemble the starting points of the products that they were made from. So they become ultra processed. Okay, So for example, I don't know, a pack of Watsits or any cheesy crisps or whatever, that doesn't resemble corn anymore. Yeah. yeah, although it's a product of corn. So you change the composition so much of that food product that it hardly resembles what it was made from.
3: Yep.
2: And we now know that the more ultra-processed foods that we eat, the worse our health outcomes can be on a, on a variety of different things. How it happens, difficult to say, but really a world of industrialization, yep. um, where you know eating regionally produced local food is is not really what we do anymore. We go to supermarkets and buy food that's been already cooked and processed for us, um, packaged and made into, into something that we then consume. So that lowered reliance on nature and sustainable farming locally and the product that comes from the land around you, farmers markets, etc., and that shift towards eating in an industrialized age is probably what's contributed to it
3: so if you could give our listeners a quick tip uh, for people that are living busy often quite hectic lives Mm. like what would you say the best tips in terms of if you're looking at a wide array of different foods on a supermarket shelf Mm. what should we be looking for that give us the best chance of eating the best types of foods
2: I'm really mindful of just saying go nuts in the vegetable aisle because I think it can be quite expensive and not all of us can afford it and you know I have young children and I want to feed them well and sometimes we even struggle to be able to afford loads of different red fruits and vegetables but yes go nuts in the vegetable aisle if you can that's that is important see where you can find the deals you know the other day I went to Asda and at the end of the day they put all of the leftover fruit and veg on sale I got like a glut of vegetables for about a pound. I'm not even joking, you know, Um, you can also try and go into the frozen section really, really good stuff in the frozen aisles of your supermarket there is nothing wrong with frozen peas frozen cauliflower frozen broccoli frozen carrots you can go a little bit different and go for frozen spinach or you can find like frozen okra and frozen bitter gourd and um, frozen mustard leaves you know it's it's amazing and you can be experimental with it so frozen aisles are a a great cheaper alternative way of getting the foods in cans I love a can. I love a can.
0: See, I would naturally think, and I think a lot of people do, canned food's not good. For whatever reason, we see it as a kind of almost like a fast food, but that's not the case.
2: No, so I suppose what I'm not talking about is Heinz baked beans in a can. I'm talking about, I don't know, chickpeas in a can or lentils um, lentils or, you know, all this array of different you know pinto beans and black-eyed peas and all these amazing things that we are actually neglecting lots of the time because it's so cost effective to make great meals out of them. Um, If you can afford a vegetable delivery service box, that's amazing because there's lots of different companies, odd box etc who make leftover vegetables that don't end up on our supermarket they basically make them accessible to us so wonky things you know stuff that the earth grew that is really quite delightful and gorgeous and knobbly and you know odd looking into something that would be otherwise discarded how, how can we do that you know and pe- these companies can bring those products to our door i'm a massive advocate of that if you can afford those boxes they're, they're actually really good value for money because Because the amount that you get out of a weekly delivery is just fantastic. And then again, using your own freezer, that's really important as well. So making batch cooking food that you can get when you can get it and then bringing it out from your freezer when you're ready to use it. It's a great idea.
3: So that's fantastic advice for home cooking and how we can sort of eat better in our own homes. For people listening to this that may be working in offices and they have to go out and grab a sandwich at lunchtime or Mm. they're often eating on the hoof, what sort of advice would you give to them in terms of being able to eat better, more nutritious diets?
2: i'm a great advocate of cooking so my advice for people would be to cook as much as you can and try and bring in your own lunches if possible i don't say this in a critical way but i think if you just take a step back and look at us as human beings we are the only species that occupy this earth who cook okay there is no other being on the planet that can cook foxes can't make scavenger stew dogs can't rustle up their own treats we are the only people who can cook so cooking is a definitively human activity and we should consider it as such and give it that importance i don't believe that there is anybody who cannot cook i think if people say they can't cook they're wrong everybody as human beings you have the gift of being able to cook okay and there's this lovely saying that says ergo sum, which is Latin for I cook therefore I am so when you frame it in that way and view yourself as a being who's been designed to cook then really you see that there's no real excuse for you not to be cooking your meals and we talk about non-negotiable habits on the podcast and my number one non-negotiable habit is I will cook I will cook meals from scratch for my family irrespective of how tired I am and I think we have to get out of the mindset of view Cooking as the hard option. It's not the hard option because. you know, you you have been designed to cook. Back in the day, our ancestors were not able to cook and then a transition happened where suddenly we were able to harness the power of fire to cook. And we were able to extract much more energy from food than we previously were. So, for example, a cooked boiled potato is so much more easy to digest than for example, a raw potato as an example, or a cooked piece of meat is far easier to digest than a raw piece of meat. And as a consequence, what happened is that because we could extract more energy from food, our jaws became smaller and our brains became bigger. And that essentially meant that we became more intelligent beings and we became the humans that we are today. It's called cooking theory. It's an evolutionary theory about cooking and how humans evolved as beings that cook. Amazing. When you start thinking about that human instinct to cook and don't view it as a chore yeah. that's when the magic really happens and for me like I'm a mum as well I've got two children I love being in the kitchen I just chuck them out I'm like husband you <laughs> keep or I just put them in front of the telly for a little while we all do it we all do it Pepper Pig is a saviour and it's my time cooking has that real ability to allow you to express yourself and people don't realize that about food
0: Mm. we don't see it as a creative pastime i don't think cooking
2: i don't think people do i mean you know it's also very reflective of your mood so if i'm a little bit angry for example you know i can go chop 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 on the nuts and start thinking about reflecting and being mindful about my day what made it me angry what am i feeling this way and somehow i feel lighter after i've done that activity or I sometimes find that depending on my mood, it, it kind of reflects on the food that comes to the table. So if I'm feeling particularly joyful and happy, I think my food ends up being all that more exuberant and zesty with that extra flavor profiles that you haven't imagined before. So I think it's really, really important for us to foster a relationship with cooking and food from a young age Or even, you know, there is really no good time to start if you don't feel that you have that relationship with cooking or food. Give it a try, you know. We look at YouTube tutorials for everything these days from knowing how to hammer a nail into a wall to an exercise routine to whatever it is that we're doing. And, you know, in the same way, you can use YouTube tutorials. You can use an array of different resources to help you become a good cook. you just got to make it important for yourself.
0: So let's talk about the importance of this varied diet, right? Some people will feel they eat well, Mm. but they maybe eat 10 different things and they eat them over and over again, but they know they're healthy meals. Mm. Why is that not so good? What is the magic about the 20, 30, 40, 50 different ingredients going into your gut in any given week that's important for your gut health?
2: So we have something called the microbiome or the gut microbiome so it's a very simple concept you are not alone okay yeah. you are housing millions and millions of bugs inside your gut when i say millions actually it's trillions okay something around 40 trillion or so right. um insane insane so that's four with about 13 zeros added to it okay so that's Crazy. And each one of these bugs lives deep inside our belly, in our colon, in our in our bowel. They multiply there and it's warm and it's wet and they have a function there. They live symbiotically within us, okay? And as humans we have about twenty one thousand genes. Not very many. Tapeworms have about a little bit less than us. So (laughs) Yeah, but the microbiome if you look at the collective genome of of those bugs inside you it's in the order of millions and millions of genes and that means they're producing proteins and chemicals and they are actually have a function inside there they're not sort of indolent and just sitting there occupying us the gut microbiome has a function and we have to realize that it's doing a job and for us and therefore we have to do a job for our gut microbiome too so we have to foster good gut health by feeding those gut bugs that are working hard within us and the way to feed those is by having a diet that has prebiotics and probiotics within it by prebiotics i mean prebiotics are like the miracle grow that you put on your on your garden they essentially help those bugs proliferate so that would be certain foods that particularly quite fibrous foods like cabbages cauliflowers broccolis chicory um, honey um, green tea artichokes like all these lovely vegetables you know full of fiber colors of the rainbow you know think all the things that just have beautiful color texture flavor etc to them those are the prebiotic foods and then you have probiotics now probiotics actually contain live bacteria okay Um, so that's things like live yogurt or fermented foods like kimchi or sauerkraut etc and the idea behind those is that they contain live bugs which go inside you not all of them are killed by the stomachs they go deep inside the colon and over there they kind of proliferate and um, develop helpful colonies of bugs okay theoretically speaking although it's not available on the National Health Service etc yet but there are tests that you can do to look at the diversity and composition of your gut bugs and whether that's a favorable composition and it comes out as something called the simpson index and the higher you are on your simpson diversity index the more diverse your gut microbiome is and the more diverse it is the better links we have with good health outcomes so that in a nutshell is why it's important to eat gut healthy foods
0: so what if people love are healthy or they think they're healthy let's say someone's listening to this and they go to the gym five times a week Mm. and they're lean Mm. or there's a guy listening to this and he literally is chucking massive lumps of metal around in the gym and he's buff and he looks really strong
3: Mm. is
0: that not enough for those people that are listening to this and think listen Sally, i've got my 20 ingredients that's what i eat i take my protein shakes i'm good Mm. is that not okay if you're lean and you're strong and you feel all right or is there stuff happening under the surface that we need to be aware of
2: i think there is stuff happening under the surface i think I always talk about your relationship with food being an evolving one, and it is a relationship. I call it your journey towards gastronomic nirvana, or your journey towards finding digestive health and happiness. Yeah. So it's okay if you think you're okay, but the reality is, as with everything, there's always room for improvement. I hate to make people feel that they're not good enough on a particular day So eating time.
0: badly and going to the gym isn't good enough in your opinion?
2: No, I don't think so. I think there there's always much more that we can do because what happens is you may feel that you're okay and you may look okay, but what's happening inside is probably not okay and these are all things that are quite occult, quite hidden because you can't really measure the impact of a donor or Fish and chips. It's not really like that. What happens is that you have to look at the cumulative effect of the way you've eaten over time. Yep. And the cumulative effect does build up. And you see that in lots of different things. So you'll see those same people, health problems will catch up with them. So it's things like um, cholesterol problems, blood pressure problems, yep. early diabetes. All these things do creep up. Or when they stop exercising for a period of time for whatever reason, the weight gain comes on very quickly. So exercise is great. Sleeping well is very important. But food is a massive adjunct to those. Um, So if you're talking about high performance lifestyle, I think good sleep exercise and food is a huge component of that and people who eat well i think have high performance lives in general because they have more energy they also then sleep better food has a massive social role so they engage in the social dimensions of eating much better so this is all very intrinsic to a successful life
3: i mean one of the big themes we hear when we interview a lot of our high performance salira is there's no shortcuts to this and yet when I think about some of like the examples that Jake's talking about, there are people with protein shakes. And what's your view on those kind of shortcuts that are being offered to the busy professional?
2: There's shortcuts. And then there's this whole culture of the naughty foods, isn't there? So you're talking about... Oh, look at that amazing looking donut. It's covered in sugar. I'm going to bite into it and this lovely raspberry jam's going to come gushing out. And you look at it and you're like, I oh, just cannot resist. Now, I'm of the philosophy that in a way resistance is futile. So I would probably eat the jam donut in that situation. Okay. I don't police eating. I think part of your relationship with food is the recognition that certain foods are really, really addictive yeah. and you really want them and they go straight into your reward centers in your brain and they make you want to eat that food. And it's okay, I think, to eat those foods sometimes so long as you are then also aware that you cannot be doing that day in, day out and that you allow yourself certain discretions because we are only human at the end of the day. For example, I find with my kids, I do let them have a little bit of sweet stuff because I found when I stopped them, they were just getting absolutely obsessed by it. You know, they were right, just like, yeah. I really want it, I want more, I want more. And I think it's a sort of similar thing with the cheat things. You know, we think... That having them is saves us time, and if you feel that way, then that's okay, I guess. But actually, um, when you distill it down, it doesn't take that long to make your own protein-rich shake, or your own proteinaceous meal, or your own food that is um, conducive to muscle building post-exercise. You know, it just takes a little bit of knowledge and research, and a bit of guidance. Overall, I feel. and I have never been this way I've never been one to restrict people I'm all about inclusion not exclusion so include more food in your diet don't exclude things don't go down one avenue don't say I'm going to do keto this week and then something else the other week and something else the other week. Because inevitably diets fail. We're talking about, I told you one of my, um, you know, lifestyle things about that I'm not going to change in my life. And the other one that I thought about prior to coming here was I shall not diet.
0: But we are told all the time, if you're overweight, go on a diet. If you're struggling with your health, try going on a diet. Why are you... Mm. Not a dieter,
2: I, because I don't think it works. Because anything where you build a change into your lifestyle and then and therefore can sustain it, something that has longevity will work. Okay, whereas something that is a short, sharp thing, which is restrictive in some way, so excluding carbohydrate completely or excluding protein completely or exclusion, those exclusion diets, in my opinion. Don't work because inevitably you really will be tempted by that piece of bread or that bowl of pasta because that's the world we live in. What's life without a bowl of pasta? Do you know what I mean? Whereas if you start thinking about eating include food into your diet so include more vegetables include more nuts include more seeds include more legumes um include more whole grains then you're like whoa this isn't really diet at all is it this is actually just an exciting way of including more things in my repertoire in my life and actually like zhuzhing up life a bit from a culinary like perspective so, this is
0: interesting for me because i was always a firm believer that exclusion was the answer to health yeah. for me so i I stopped eating breakfast because I kept reading about people in Hollywood going on these intermittent fasts, so having their dinner and then not eating until lunchtime the next day. Mm. But I would obviously be raging hungry about eight o'clock in the evening because I guess that I was deficient in terms of my calories for the day, right? Mm. And no matter how much I did this, I was struggling to shift the belly fat. So I spoke to a nutritionist, this is going back a few months, and she said, well, you're not eating enough food. So your body is in a state of panic, thinking, where's the next meal coming from?
2: Mm.
0: You're not eating breakfast, and instead you're replacing it with coffee. So all the time, you're necking three or four coffees throughout the morning. Mm. So again, your body is going into a heightened state because the caffeine is putting you into that sort of caveman-like fight-or-flight mode. Mm. Then you finally eat. You're in a heightened state because of the coffee. You've not eaten any breakfast, so your body's wondering where the next meal's coming from. So it grabs all the fat and stores it in case it needs it for another time.
1: Mm.
0: Eat more, and she kind of described getting into this circadian rhythm with my eating so it's regular meals healthy meals no fads no skipping are you are you an advocate for that because
2: absolutely people
0: listen to this podcast and they will be seeing all the time what hollywood a-lister a or superstar b is doing with their diet and Mm. i particularly worry about young people being affected by those fads
2: i worry all the time about young people being affected by that and food is really confusing i think we have to recognize that food is so confusing like for example you go on instagram which is one of our biggest ways that people will learn about food these days is through people's posting of other food pictures and you type in hashtag insta food you will literally come out with a hundred different ways of eating a hundred different food lifestyles and a hundred different food related other hashtags and it just creates this sort of hashtag fuel desperation you know like what the hell is it how am i meant to eat am i meant to be a vegan am i meant to be eating more vegetables am i meant to am am i meant to not eat red meat like what am i meant to do like am i am i not meant to have turkey at christmas can i have turkey at christmas i mean (laughs) you know it's it, it is really confusing and we have to recognize that i think the way to kind of see through this whole maelstrom of confusion and this sort of melange of craziness out there is to distill it down and say diversity of diet i'm going to eat lots of different things i'm going to eat regular meals i'm not going to restrict myself i'm going to try and cook and if i can cook with lots of different food items i'm on to a winner
3: now as you're saying this salia i'm hearing my wife's voice in my head because i've got two children and our challenge with them is getting them to open up and try new foods mm. that they know what they like and anything that's different mm. they're often reluctant so what advice can you give any parents in the same position as me and my wife listening to this in terms of encouraging our children to eat with this diversity that's so important
2: it's such a good question i have two kids as well and i spend a lot of time thinking about this you've got kids as well yeah, haven't you too, yeah. i think you just have to keep trying with children and not give up and not allow them to become too narrow and also not worry if they are narrow because if you keep trying eventually they just they just do it so when you think about how children eat the, a child's relationship with food starts in the uterus we know that amniotic fluid the fluid that surrounds the baby in, in the belly has a flavor to it and um, if for example a mother eats garlic the smell of garlic will permeate into that amniotic fluid
0: so my wife Ate chocolate obsessively and she was pregnant <laughs> with my son, and he's obsessed with chocolate. Could yeah. that literally be why? It
2: could literally why be I? a link. Of course, Honestly, it could. It could be. A we link.
0: laugh at home and go, "Oh, it's yeah. only because you ate chocolate when you were pregnant <laughs> for three meals a day," and, and that could genuinely be. It the could reason genuinely
2: why be the reason why. My so, son's a
0: chocolate.
2: I mean, nobody can prove that, but you know, Amazing. we do know that amniotic fluid has a certain smell yeah. and flavour to it. We also know that babies swallow the amniotic fluid, and as they grow and when they like certain foods and smell, they swallow it more and that's when the early kind of taste bud development happens now babies have very uh, they have many more taste buds than we do and as you grow older with age so through adulthood your taste buds decline and then when you become elderly you have a further decline in the amount of taste buds that you have so that that basically means that when we're catering for very young children part of the reason why they may not like very flavorsome foods is because it's actually a much more sensorial experience for them than it is for us for example so just work on it you know gradually slowly allow them to have the foods that they like and just gradually see if they want to try something new and don't stress about it if they're not having it you know sometimes you just cannot force children to have certain foods like you know broccoli for example one of my kids loves it the other one cannot even like can't smell it you know he just just hates it so much so there's a huge variation amongst children but the key thing is to not give up we've mentioned children but the other end is the older age group you know if you're living in a multi-generational family then elderly people to in order to get maximum enjoyment from food they actually need a little bit more flavor
1: um,
2: because they lose taste buds over time and one of the things that i teach in my book foodology is the principles of what makes tasty Okay, eating tasty food is is really important, but what makes taste taste? What makes tasty tasty? We have a bunch of taste buds in our mouth. So we have them for sweet, we have salty, we have sour, we have bitter. And then we also have a mystery taste called umami. And we have spice receptors, but spice receptors are not taste buds. They are receptors for heat, and our body basically detects temperature and spice in the same way. Mm -hmm. So the umami is this mystery fifth taste, and it's this kind of very meaty, kind of earthy, savoury taste. The sort of taste Mm -hmm. that you get in marmite, um, fish sauce, ketchup, tomatoes, beef, um, cheese, those are the sort of natural ingredients that have high levels of umami. Umami in them. And um, it's a very, it's what gives us appetite, it's what gives us food yumminess. So I actually encourage people to think about the components of flavor that they're cooking with. So by that, I mean if you've got a plain salad bowl, if you've got a dressing on there which has got a little bit of salt, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of lemon juice, and then maybe a little umami edge with a t- touch of fish sauce or Worcestershire sauce or soy sauce or something, it really will bring out different dimensions of flavor in your mouth.
3: So when we lose these taste buds, and as we get older, like the five different types, do we lose them all in equal measure, or is there a variance on that?
2: I don't think anybody knows actually. I think at the moment the feeling is that probably you lose them universally. Right. But I think that nobody has really done enough flavour research to be able to definitively give an answer to that. And would you believe it? I mean, the salt, for example, is such an inherent taste that we have like you know salt you put salt on everything from childhood you know potatoes whatever like just a touch a little salt and to this day, we haven't quite isolated the exact receptor on the taste bud that detects salt. We know that it exists, but we don't quite know what one it is. So in some ways, we've come so far. Michelin star establishments, you know, Molden sea salt and, you know, uh, amazing food and gastronomy, molecular gastronomy, etc. But we don't, we don't know how humans detect the salt
1: taste.
0: Interesting, oh. isn't it? Mm. So far still to go.
1: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: I really want to run through some of the sort of common things that people do when it comes to eating for Mm. you to tell us whether they're a good or bad thing, really, from your perspective. Mm. So, first of all, fasting. Should we be fasting either on a regular basis, missing a meal a day, or once a week, once a month, doing people hear about water fasts and three-day fasts and Mm. 24-hour fasts? Mm. What do you think?
2: Complicated arena, you should consult your doctor if you're about to fast. It is most helpful for people we know that are in pre-diabetic states and need to um, change their metabolism to a more favourable state to prevent the development of diabetes in the long run. Randomly starting fasting without any support from a dietitian, I probably wouldn't advocate it because I think it's very difficult to know what effect it will have. More broadly though, I think fasting is one thing Knowing about what your personal relationship to hunger is is really important. So, we all get hungry, okay? We don't eat a meal, we do get hungry. Now, we have different responses to hunger, okay? Some of us get Hungry. some (laughs) of us just will feel hungry and then wolf down everything that's near us some of us can wait a little bit until we have a cooked meal yeah okay so i think it's really important to take a step back and assess your relationship with hunger it's okay to be a little bit hungry sometimes and not rush for the nearest thing around us i think lots of people have a lot of hunger anxiety
3: yeah we don't
0: we're not used to feeling hungry now though are we which our ancestors would have done
2: indeed we're not used to feeling hungry and i think we get a lot of anxiety about feeling hungry, you know? people are just like oh god i need to get something into me quickly but nothing bad really happens and i'm not saying stay hungry i'm saying it's okay to stay hungry for that tiny bit longer and not have two packets of crisps a packet of chocolate and four biscuits and just wait that tiny bit longer and get home and have a lovely you know pan fried salmon piece with some couscous that took you 15 minutes to actually put together that's my overall sort of thought on the matter
3: so another question then is do we eat three main meals a day or do we eat smaller meals more regularly
2: i think it really depends on on the person but broadly speaking breakfast lunch and dinner with small snacks in between is what the research suggests is is good for us
0: and let's talk about snacking because a lot of people do it let's say in the evening i'm a crisp obsessive and i might sometimes raid the kids because we don't buy crisps for me because i just eat them so we buy them for the kids and then i eat the kids crisps (laughs) so i might cane a couple of packets of those my wife loves chocolate biscuits In a sort of medical sense, what is that doing to us at eight, nine o'clock in the evening if we do that on a regular basis?
2: What happens is you take the crisps and chocolate that goes inside your body, your stomach kind of dissolves it, sugars get released and you have this huge sugar spike and your body has your pancreas and your pancreas secretes insulin and insulin tries to reduce that sugar level down and it does so very successfully but what you've done is you've caused a big amount of work that the pancreas have had to do a big amount of work to counteract that sugar rise once in a while fine no problem. But when you're doing zip zip and the pancreas is working hard and secreting insulin over, it becomes very difficult for it. And that's when you start running into problems. So if you can eat something which causes a slower release in sugars, mm. that's actually far more beneficial. For example, if you eat you can have some a little bit of crisp but then if maybe you're like okay well I've had some crisp let me have some nuts now yeah. so the nuts will basically have lots of fibers in them and they will gradually release energy so that instead of having a sugar spike up you're having um a more sustained release of energy so again, which will keep you fuller for eat. longer no if
0: you need to snack and you're the sort of person that needs to snack you're gonna snack right
2: I mean just so snack could- on the good stuff Exactly and I could never tell anyone not to eat because I love food. (laughs) Are you a snacker? I'm a snacker. I'm an eater. I'm an eater. I'm food obsessed you know like my life revolves around food. I love it so much. I'm so deeply passionate about food and eating and I think it just plays such an important role in people's lives and they don't realise. So I would say try and see if you can eat foods which have gradual releases of energy to them. Fibrous foods are really important in that. Nuts are really important in that. What I would also say is that your microbiomes the the bugs that we talked about in the gut a bit earlier they also play a role in maintaining um your the way that the bloodstream regulates the sugar so that is also another interaction so the more foods you can eat to try and help your gut do its work the better it will be for at preventing those big huge sugar spikes that are not as good for you
0: carbohydrates Mm. should we try and live a carbohydrate free life
2: Definitely not. Carbs are everything. Car- you need carbohydrate in your life. Carbohydrate gets broken down to glucose. Glucose is the stuff that makes gives us energy, gives us life. I'm totally anti-carbohydrate restriction. And I've actually seen extreme carbohydrate restriction lead to people being hospitalized um, in that? severe starvation states. So the body starts breaking down its own tissues to try and release more sugars into the system. And that's a very extreme example. But by and large, I would say, I am a huge advocate that people do eat carbohydrates. In the future, nutrition will evolve. So right now we look at sort of calorie counting. So we say, okay, I'm going to e- eat 2000 calories. But actually that's a very sort of um, broad way and, and not a very accurate way of looking at things. The science is now telling us that each one of us may process carbohydrates differently. So for example, Jake, you might eat potatoes and that potatoes might be the thing that cause you sugar spike. Whereas Damien, you might eat something like rice and rice might be the thing that causes you sugar spike. And And for me, it might be pasta. With time, what we'll be able to tell is which person has sugar spikes in response to which carbohydrates, if that makes sense. So it's moving towards individualized nutrition. Okay, and we're not there yet, but we are getting there. So I really think in the next decade or so, this whole dogma of eat less carbohydrate, eat more protein, it will all be changed because we are so individual and our individual carbohydrate-led sugar responses will probably be able to be mapped in the future. We'll be able to tell people beneficial things for them specifically. Because so much of nutrition is about painting broad brush strokes these days. Eat this, don't mm. eat that. This is good for you. Goji berries, chia seeds, da da da, da 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 But it's not really like that. Nutrition is really vast and complicated. And in time... working towards individualised nutrition is where we're going. One um, really good carbohydrate tip that comes to mind is cooking and cooling potatoes. So do you love potato salad? I love. I love potato salad. Okay so potato salad you've cooked it and then you you chop up the potatoes and you cool them down and when you cool them down those um, exposed surface of potatoes develop what we call resistant starches which are fibres. So what happens then is that when you then swallow the cold potato which you've obviously put I, I make like a nice yogurty potato salad dressing on it with lemon juice and gherkins and dill and etc um but i'll stop there um, angry, yeah. but what what then happens is when you swallow those cooked and cooled potatoes those extra resistant starches that you s- developed on the surface will break down gradually instead of quickly and will actually theoretically keep you fuller for longer
0: so you don't even know that stuff you just assume potato is potato whether it's fried baked cooked whatever
2: totally totally
3: another myth then or an old saying is that breakfast is the food that sets you up for the day and that's the one that you should never scrimp on Mm. and then you should gradually eat less during the day Mm. is there one meal that we shouldn't miss out regardless of how busy we are
2: i think breakfast in particular people all over the years you know well first it was skip breakfast otherwise you'll get fat. Then it was don't skip breakfast because otherwise you'll get fat. So the answer to this is overall, we think that the people who skip breakfast According to the studies are probably the ones who have massive lunches because they're super hungry and actually not necessary. It doesn't necessarily give beneficial metabolic outcomes. So I think a balanced breakfast, a balanced lunch and a balanced dinner is really important. And when you have breakfast, lunch or dinner, I think if you have any meal where you're stuffing yourself to beyond feeling full, that's not going to be a good idea you should have you should eat to feel just full
0: and there's also a lot of talk about enjoying your food slowing down Mm. chewing your food more why is that such an important thing from a nutritional perspective
2: so chewing well a lot of us have stopped doing it so chewing in medical terms is called mastication okay and um essentially the whole art of chewing is such that it starts the digestive process down in the mouth so you're adding saliva you're adding enzymes you're actually um, getting the most out of the flavour in the mouth before it goes down inside you and you start breaking it down Chewing is really important, and we have forgotten to do it. There was a scientist, this nutty scientist, like a few hundred years ago, who was called, I think, Horace Fletcher. And he developed this thing called Fletcherism, which is about chewing your food like hundreds of times before you swallow it. And he swore that if you ate your food properly and chewed it properly, then when you pooed, it would be perfectly round, formed nuggets <laughs> of poo, perfectly smooth, slippery, round, easy to come out. And um, I don't, I'm not really a Fletcher I'm not a Fletcherite um, but I do think we need to sometimes slow down yeah. um, when we eat because we talked a little bit about the social role of food but I find it really bizarre that there's these whole new trends like called Muk. have you heard of mukbang no. right so mukbang is where you have these YouTube videos where there'll be a person with a load of food in front of them and they'll be eating it just eating it essentially you put the youtube video on and you watch them eat chicken wings or whatever and you eat your food whilst watching them eat it this is
0: for people who are single or eating on their own i assume not like a
2: well, yeah and
0: you want to sit around as a family would you and watch someone well, on YouTube well who
2: knows what, I mean I think there the are people it? so it's all about food commensality right so the idea of the social dimension of eating and how we enjoy food whilst having it with other people so now there's right. actually websites where you can pay for an eating partner if you're an, a person alone at home who doesn't have right. anybody to eat with okay. and wants to eat with someone at the table you can have them on your laptop and I, I find that crazy you know that these sort of trends have evolved crazy because i I would hope that people would have people around them to be able to share meals with but not so crazy because i understand somehow the desire to have people around you while you eat so if you try and get food as a social make the sort of explore the social context of the food that you're eating for example growing up we always had family dinners and don't get me wrong we had fights at the dinner table you know there would be disagreements my mom would get angry at something but by and large that was actually actually really really solid family time where everybody came together over the dinner table i know it's difficult and busy and everybody sure. has his life but actually those social dimensions of eating are really important like in france for example they actually do commensal eating really well they do meetings over to over food they you know they have long lunches for an hour in the middle of the day and they talk about lots of different things even in hospitals you know different patients are discussed at lunchtime whilst eating a nice plate of food in the Canteen, for example. Yeah. So it's really, really different, and uh different to us. And you know, th- the concept of us. Like I, sp- I spoke to a French friend one, and she goes, "I just think it's disgusting that you can eat a burger in front of the computer." You know, yeah, and really I was like, not
0: felt, yeah. "I was
2: like, what do you mean?" And she goes. You're alone and you're eating it while you're working in front of a computer. That isn't eating, that's not food, that's not eating. So, yeah, just really, really thinking about where you are in your life in terms of the social aspect of food and what it means to you is really important.
3: So, in relation to high performance, I, I really like what you were describing before because just to remind listeners that you're doing a busy job a busy pressure job in the hospital you've got two young children as well and I I like the fact that we said like sometimes just the chopping Mm -hmm. is your way of centering yourself and allowing yourself to to sort of prepare Mm -hmm. what top tips would you give to our listeners then in terms of If we're going to sit down and eat, Mm. what can we do before we sit down and eat? So we've got an idea of the kind of foods we should be eating. Mm. What can we do that maximises both the social and the pleasurable aspects, but also sets us up to then go out there and perform at our best?
2: I'd switch off the telly. Sorry.
3: even if something's
2: really good in the background because then you stop concentrating on the food and the people around you and you start looking at the telly instead. So switching off the telly is one thing. The second is, I think, this concept of sort of eating mindfully. So your focus at that moment in time becomes the plate in front of you and the people around you and what they mean to you. And when you eat, you're eating... Each bite at a time, and you're enjoying the sensory experience in the mouth. Okay, so you're enjoying that. Oh, that roasted pepper tastes really gorgeously peppery. Oh, actually, that tomato is really nice and juicy and really ripe. Or you know, oh, that piece of fish is really beautifully made today. Like I love the crispy skin on it today, or whatever it is that you're doing. So. Focus in on the deliciousness of the meal in front of you, switch the telly off, talk to the people around you.
3: So almost like being a master chef judge when you're eating. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And
2: also take time over it. You know, I know it's difficult, but we talk about lots of the problems that we have in our life about being unable to communicate with other people. For me, food is an expression of my love towards the people I love, um, my husband and children who get to eat most of my meals. So for me... When I cook them a meal, it's not just me saying, sustain yourself, eat. It's come, let's come together. This is my hug on a plate for you. This is something that I've made because I care about you. So take time over eating to switch the telly off, eat mindfully, and eat a diverse range of foods that you have cooked
0: that you have cooked, cooked. yourself
3: a yeah. on a plate I yeah i love that. What a lovely yeah. way of framing
0: it <laughs> i think it's brilliant and look, we, we often end these podcasts by asking people for their three non-negotiable behaviors mm. i would like to flip it slightly i would just like to ask you what are the three things that we should ask ourselves about the food that we're about to eat when we pick up a sandwich pop into a supermarket plan what we're having for dinner just really clear three questions to get us all closer to the kind of meals that we should be eating?
2: So first thing I would ask myself is, am I hungry right now? Or am I just eating for the sake of eating? So that's really important. Yeah. Or is it is it time for me to eat? Or am I just like, well, I'm in a shop, I'll get a sandwich. Second thing I'd ask is, am I eating a diverse meal right now? Or have I restricted myself again to things that I'm just used to? Yeah. Um, and third thing I'd ask is, am I enjoying this food? And what can I do to make this an enjoyable experience?
0: Brilliant. I think if we start asking those three questions before we dive in and, and start eating our meals, then then brilliant. And I just want to remind people that when we sit and have these conversations, I think it's really easy for listeners to go, yeah, you're not living in the real world. I've got a job. I've got kids. I'm busy. But you, know, you are a practicing doctor. You worked 100 hours last week. You're an author. You appear on TV shows. You went on MasterChef. You've got two kids of your own. Yet among all of that, you are able to find the time to eat healthily. And I assume it's because actually, it doesn't really take as much time as maybe we think. Mm. But also, in your mind, it's the single most important thing that we do for our bodies numerous times a day.
2: I really do believe that. I mean, I I went on MasterChef in 2017 and won. I was actually working full-time as a doctor with a with a two-year-old baby at that time. And everybody always asked me, how did you do it? Like, what was your secret to success? And what is it that makes you that resilient and you know what is it that gave you the strength to do it and part of it is my medical career has given me um, a lot of tools that i can use to be able to be in high pressure situations but the flip side of it also is that actually cooking and food because it is so important to me and because I cook well and eat well it actually helps me in my physical health quite a lot it gives me energy it gives me sustenance it allows me to you know perform in various other avenues of my life so it's kind of like it's a circular kind of argument you know I you'll find that it, when you start cooking well lots of other things that weren't so high performance in your life start coming together because that eating well will give you will feel it you will feel your poo better you will feel you your skin is better you'll feel less bloated you will feel all the things that you know a healthy lifestyle should bring you—you'll feel more energetic, more zesty. You know, life just becomes all that more exciting when food is a big part of it.
3: So, Salia, can we ask you around the connection between eating well and mental health?
2: Mm. For for many years, people didn't really think that there was a relationship. But at the moment, we have this really exciting field of food and mental health kind of coming together in quite a nice way. So. Your gut has its own nervous system. It's called the enteric nervous system. There's as many nerves in your gut, they say, as a cat would have in their brain. So, And loads of different types of nerves as well, not just one type of nerve in the gut. It's a really complex, innervated thing. It's not an inert kind of thing just lying there. It's moving, it's propulsing, it's got its own electrical connections in there. And those nerves in the gut are actually directly linked to the brain in three key ways so first is via another nerve which fires signal up and down called the vagus nerve and that vagus nerve also goes into our reward systems which is why eating something nice can give us a sense of reward in our brain also why we talk about things like i had a gut instinct i had you know something in yeah. me i just knew it you know like it felt it in Follow my waters gut, yeah. yeah you feel it in your gut you know you you know those there's, there's a feeling about another human being something because you've got a nervous system in there and it's firing and doing oh, things okay. and it's connected to your brain um so that's one way the second way is you have an immunity in your in your gut as well so we talk about people having an immune system with lots of immune cells all over their body but the gut is the biggest biggest hauser of immune cells and those immune cells are secreting substances that then get secreted and go to all parts of the body including the brain and then the final is hormones so the gut is a huge reservoir of different hormones um, some of which are related to one's regulation of mood and depression in particular is now being a thought of as a sort of auto-inflammatory state where you have inflammation in the bowel in the bodily tissue Issues, etc., and where things have just gone haywire with this gut-brain connection. We call it the gut-brain axis. So that connection mediated by immunity, hormones, and nerves has just gone kind of wrong. So there's these amazing kind of studies. I think one of them is called the SMILES study, where they take groups of people and they medicate some people and they take a similar group of people and they say, Well, I want you to eat a really good Mediterranean diet and cook for yourself. And they've actually found that the food and the eating well has massive massive impact on reducing depressive symptoms wow. so yeah so you know now the evidence is emerging that eating well can prevent um, to an extent certain depressive um, illnesses or help wow. ones help people recover from them which oh. i think is really profound when you think Absolutely. about it so
0: there's no there's no part of your body from your brain to your bowel that is not impacted or affected by what you eat is there
2: exactly there is not a single tissue in your body that isn't impacted by what you eat
0: so food gets you closer to a high performance life without question
2: a hundred percent it's
0: been a really fascinating conversation thank you so much for giving up the time i really hope that people have listened to this and can take on board all of the points that we mentioned and really think mindfully about what they knowing it's high performance isn't just about the gym and your job and your salary and other things if they want more information either specifically about you and the work you've done or some advice from somewhere what would you recommend
2: well i would always say that if there are certain digestive health issues that people are facing anything, please do make contact with your, your doctor, your, your GP um, and get some advice, that's your first port of call, however of course if you want a more sort of understanding or more nuanced discussion of some of the topics that we've touched on today then by all means um, everybody can read my book Foodology.
0: Wonderful, we'll, we'll do just that. <laughs> it's a great book um, I have a copy as you know um, oh. and if you want to you can go to the highperformancepodcast.com right now and you can, uh, you can get your hands on a copy of Celia's book, it's a pleasure to be working with her on that and you are writing something else coming out in a year or two
2: yeah so january 2023 a cookbook with recipes diverse recipes full of fun ingredients (laughs) foodology is a great i have to say someone said to me the best compliment i've ever heard they said to me i've got a copy of your book in the toilet and when i poo i read it (laughs) it made me so happy
0: it's the right part of the house probably though isn't it
2: it is the perfect toilet book
0: brilliant (laughs) thank you so much (laughs) thanks damien jake all really that conversation is about is just thinking even for a small amount of time about exactly how and what you're going to eat the highlight for me, though, was when Salia said, you know, for me, cooking for my family is like giving them a hug on a plate. It's like, this is how much I love you. This is what I want to cook for you. Here's what you get. And I think, actually, it's not just about cooking food for the people we love because we love them. It's about what we put inside our own bodies because we have that respect for ourselves, you know? Yep.
3: Yeah. yeah, and I think the point Salia made at the start of that was that we're making decisions all the time. It's the what like food is the one thing that we're making decisions for. There's research that says we make around 10,000 decisions a day and the stat I've read is around 236 of them involves the consummation of food and drink. So if you think about the amount of times we're on autopilot, like the amount of decisions you make when you go to a coffee shop, what size cup do you want? What type of coffee bean do you want? The style of coffee, what type of milk, sugar, sweetness? Most of the time, our brain doesn't like that, so we just order the same drink every time, whereas what she's encouraging us to do is just pause for a moment and think about it. That can only be a good thing. But she's not doing it in a kind of preachy, you must be better
0: way. Let's just remind people listening. She has a full-time job, like, well, more than a full-time job. She's a doctor. Um, and she told us she did 100 hours last week. Plus, she's a mum of two. Plus, she writes books, does TV shows. Like, she's busy, but still finds the time. And I kept thinking when she was, when she was talking, I was like, this is someone who's basically saying to our audience, don't think about your food because you hate your body. Think about your food because you love your body.
3: Yeah, so it's like that saying that sometimes when people say uh, I'm too busy to do it, the answer is it's just not a priority for you. It's not high enough on your priority list. And yet every high performer we've spoken about, it starts with self-care first. So making that a priority and then you can care for others and then you can strive for your goals. And again, what Salih is telling us is put yourself as a priority. Your health and and your nutrition has to be something that you don't negotiate on. I have enough people I know that tell me they have no time for certain
0: things and I see them on Instagram plenty Updates 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 and I'm thinking well if you've got five minutes to do an Instagram update You've definitely got five minutes to consider what you're going to put in your body because as she said It's the only thing that connects us to the earth and I really hope that You know when she talks about The way we eat and what we eat and how we eat I just hope that people realize that you can still be high performance of course without all of that stuff But almost the single biggest thing you can do to get yourself closer to high performance is what you eat and drink. Because as she said, it infects and impacts every single bit of tissue in our bodies.
3: Yep. We frequently use that phrase about pit stops being who stops and refuels the best. And this is just about what type of fuel you're putting in in those moments.
0: Great. Well, I really hope that for you listening to this, you know, having an expert come in here and share all the things that she's learned as an author and as a doctor and as an expert was helpful to you. So, there we go, our first episode with an expert. Sally, I thank you so much for coming on and sharing so much. I think there's some really strong takeaways there for all of you to just learn about what we can do better. And I, you know, I'm definitely guilty of either overeating or absent mindedly eating. And as she said, you know, am I hungry? Is it good for me? Do I need it? Um, I certainly learned a lot and I'm going to try and approach food in a different way now because um, it's the one thing we put into our bodies that we really, truly can control. And I suppose that. We live in this world where it's kind of okay to eat crap isn't it because everyone does it and the adverts are everywhere but it really isn't um not all the time anyway and um sally are brilliant thank you so much um if you want to find out more about Salia, if you want to watch the episodes, if you want to get tickets for the high performance tour or get your hands on the book or check out our store, all you need to do is go to thehighperformancepodcast.com. Everything is there and you can become more immersed in the world of high performance, including joining our members club, the High Performance Circle. So if you want to kind of take your experience of high performance to a new level, when the new year gets going just head to the high and we'll be back on new year's eve we've got a special collaboration episode with fern uh, cotton and happy place where she shares some of her favorite guests we share some of our favorite guests and we just have a nice chat really about the things we've learned from creating our respective podcasts so um see you on the 31st if you don't check in with us then i hope you have a very happy new year i send all my love all my best wishes for all of you for 2022 it can only get better I think can't it and um, stick with high performance throughout because when you're struggling when you're lonely when things are difficult when it's challenging we're here to lift you up and to help you out remember there is no secret it is all there for you be your own biggest cheerleader and make world class basics your calling card in 2022 see you soon